This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by BlendJet. Now, I'm not a big breakfast guy. I either don't eat breakfast or I have a single piece of toast or sometimes I'll make a smoothie. The problem with my blender at home is that it's big, it's bulky, it's really loud, it's hard to clean, and sometimes the ice or the frozen fruit gets jammed in the blades and so I can't actually make the smoothie. But I recently got the BlendJet 2, which is a portable handheld blender, which lets me blend up my smoothie here at home or at the office. I can give it to my son to use to create a protein shake when he's at the gym, or if I'm on vacation, I can even make a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder. It's powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and like frozen fruit. It's whisper quiet so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. And to charge it, you only need to use a USB-C and it charges for more than 15 blends. But best of all, and this is the part I really like, is that it cleans itself. So all you need to do is put some water in there with a drop of soap and you're good to go. So what are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today and be sure to use the promo code policyviz12, that's policyviz12, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, the power, and the innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 portable blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the offer code POLICYVIS12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode of the show, we continue a little bit of our journey talking about data and art. And I'm very fortunate to be joined by Gabrielle Ion Hickman. Gabrielle won one of the Information is Beautiful Awards back in December of 2022 for her project on spades that was published at The Pudding. And Gabrielle combines a very interesting background of research and writing and art. And she created this really fantastic piece with the folks over at The Pudding on spades. And you can't see this if you are listening to this podcast, but right now I'm holding up a copy of the card deck that was published, printed, along with the digital piece at The Pudding about the history of this game spades. And it really reaches deep into the black and African-American culture and history, as you'll hear in our conversation. Um, and it's also just an interesting story about thinking about how we can combine qualitative research, historical documentations, and our own experience into telling immersive stories. So I'm going to let Gabrielle tell you all about it in this week's episode of the podcast. So here is my discussion with Gabrielle Ion Hickman. Hi, Gabrielle. Good morning. Good morning, my time. It's not. Barcelona. Yeah, good evening, my time. Yeah, your time. Okay, so before we get into talking about your work, so tell me a little bit about what you're doing in Spain. Yeah, so I'm in Barcelona right now. I just got here today. I'll be here for a few days. Um, and then I'm actually heading off to a residency um, at Mas Palu um, for a week, a week and a half. I'm actually working on a book project while I'm there. Oh, that's very, that's very cool. So this is just a week for you to just like sit in the countryside of Spain and, and just work? Economists, we don't get residencies. So like what, like what does an artist residency look like? Like what does it feel like? 
you know, they're, they're each is different. Some of them have like a lot of activities built into them to try to like stimulate your craft or your practice. And some of them are more like free form for you to fill in the, fill in the space. Right. Um, this one seems to be kind of a good mix of the two. There are some opportunities and I'll be there with a group of people. So there's obviously like time and space for connection, but um, I'm really looking forward to having time without kind of having to balance like all of the other things in life to right. like to read with my project to start drafting for my project. Um, so it'll, yeah, it's just kind of a stretch of uninterrupted time for me to like hopefully only do um, my, my creative practice. Yeah, that's terrific. That That's exciting. Um, yeah, like I said, not a lot of residency programs for us, for us economists. So I reached out to, well, actually, we met at the Information is Beautiful Awards uh, a few mm-hmm. months ago here in DC uh, when you won for your spades project. I'm going to hold up the cards, but people on um, listening can't really see this, but I have the, the physical card set. So I want to talk to you about this and talk about some of your, your other work. Um, but maybe we could just start with you telling folks about the project and what inspired you to do it. And then we can talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up watching people in my life play spades, my aunt, my uncle, my mom, my dad, my older cousins. Um, I wasn't allowed to play then because I was, you know, sitting at the kids' table. But, <laughs> you know, I saw it and I saw how, like, at every Christmas or every barbecue, you know, somebody was playing spades or dominoes or some type of card game um and then you know when i turned 18 and i was going off to college my parents taught me how to play and i played all through college and now Mm -hmm. when i get together with my friends we're often playing spades and i have the same you know spades partner in my friend group we have like a you know we kind of keep a running mental tally of (laughs) who's won how many games it's it's really actually very serious yeah and during the pandemic you know kind of at the height of it because because of course it's not over my mom and I were playing cards a lot in the house together. We weren't playing yeah. space because we were only three people in our household and you kind of need four people to play, but we were playing space 10, we were playing five crowns. Um, and I kept also like seeing spades pop up in popular culture. So there's a mixed dish episode that deals with spades or spades is like played in um, the best man movie and TV series um, and insecurity, Saray they're having a beach party and space comes up right and right. so i just kept seeing it and i kept thinking like oh and and, and also space is always being debated and discussed on black twitter at any given point in time mm-hmm. so i just kept seeing it around and i was playing cards and i kept kind of just a question popped into my head of like why is this so important to us where did this come from like why yeah. is this important to black people where did this come from and i couldn't find um any answers that like were satisfactory to me yeah. um, online. And so I just said, okay, well, I will figure it out or, you know, I'll do it myself. Like if that record, right. that data isn't there, then I'll be the one to create it. Right. But what's interesting about what you did was you combined the historical record or experience with your own survey, your own data collection. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about, I guess the question is, I, I do want to ask like how you did the survey. But what what was your thinking there? Did you want to get sort of the present and the past? Like, wh- how are you thinking about sort of doing both of those pieces? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think for me, a lot of the times when I'm doing my work in general, but especially this piece, it's always important for me to have like records for, for Black folks and just in general, you know, society to come back to. Because for so much of human history, it hasn't been written by people who look like me. 
or right. my history has been discarded or, you know, damaged or just not given the attention that it deserves. And so part of it was, okay, like understanding, yeah, like past, present, and maybe future. Like where mm-hmm. did this come from? How has it endured for so long? What does it mean in the present moment? And how might it like hold space or make room for black futures, mm-hmm. um, you know, beyond kind of what we're living through or, or experiencing right now. Um, right. So it was both about like establishing a record. And then also, I just really wanted to work with the pudding. Like I had one that I had been reading their <laughs> newsletter and yeah. seeing their work for years. And I was just like, kept telling myself, one day you're going to have an idea and you're going to work with them. <laughs> and this just ended up being that because it just felt even from the very beginning when I was pitching and thinking like conceiving of the idea, it just felt like it couldn't be your kind of like stereotypical like article with text and a couple pictures. And right. then like it just it just it couldn't like space, playing space is a vibrant thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just felt like that kind of more standard like internet format wouldn't right. do the game itself justice and like the telling of yeah of, of the story yeah so so tell me a little bit about that process working with the pudding folks i've had some of them on the the show in the past but what was it like what was your i mean you are artist by background so i don't know like if you have a ton of like html coding background i certainly don't but like what was the process of working with them and building out the you know the story on the on the site itself yeah, so from so from pitch to like story on the site was eight or nine months. Okay. And then from pitch to like selling the first carbic was a full year. So we worked on the story like all the way through the process for a year, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um and it started out and I and it started out and I just kind of pitched them, Hey, I want to write something about black people and cards. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about multiple card games, like Phase uh, 10, Uno, Five Crowns, Phase, like lots of different card games. Right. Um, but I think there was, you know, a specific line in my pitch that kind of spoke maybe specifically to Spades. And so Matt Daniels, who was um, the editor that I probably worked the closest with at the pudding, was responded and was like, this is really interesting. I think we should just do the Spades piece mm. of it. Um, and so, you know, shout out to him for kind of being able to see through what what all was in my pitch to like yeah. get to that, that real nugget. Um and, you know, then we had, like, a, I had a call with, I think, Matt and Jana and myself. Jana is um, the, she did the designs for the piece, and I know does, does you know, other things for the pudding, but I think she's one of their main designers. Um, and so we had a call just to, like, talk through it more. And then from there, they were like, yes, we're interested. You know, you do all the contract type yeah. stuff. And then it was literally just me and Matt meeting, like, every mm. week, every two weeks. In that first stretch of like, all right, how do we actually do this? Because there isn't any data on it that we can play right. from. Or right. like, there are books about Bidwist, which is the parent game of Spades, but there wasn't really anything that was like directly, here's the history of Spades. Just like, so it was a lot of like, all right, this doesn't exist, so we have to create this data. And then also we have to find different sources and places where we can pull from mm. to kind of fill in the gaps or, um, speak to speculate of what kind of this history might have been based upon the records that we do that we do have um and so you know we met every every week every two weeks for that you know that year long or nine month (laughs) period um and 
just kind of took the project in phases. So at first mm -hmm. it was like, all right, we know we need to do a survey, so let's figure out the survey questions. So like I drafted them, Matt, you know, would respond and we'd meet and talk about them. And then it's like, okay, we need graphics to go with putting out the survey. We need to put the survey into type form. We need to then send it out on Twitter. And like then it then it's looking at that and saying, okay, we've got maybe it was like three fifty four hundred responses. What are the demographics of that response? Mm -hmm. So from age, from gender, from regional location, things like that, right? right. To try to to try to tell as complete a picture of spades in the African American community in the US. And so it turned out that like we didn't have enough people in like an older demographic, we didn't have enough West Coast representation. So then we had to go and use like Polefish, mm -hmm. I believe it was, and do a much more like targeted kind of push to get people to fill in the, the, the oh, data that we didn't get just from kind of organically sharing it on Twitter and Instagram. Right. Then we got all that back and Matt coded the data quantitatively and I coded it qualitatively because I'm trained in qualitative methods. Mm -hmm. um, and so then we kind of sat with what came from both of those, you know, analyses. Yes, analyses. Yeah. Those pieces, sat, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Sat with, we sat with what came from those. Um, and then I kind of went off and did some some reading and some research into, okay, well, what is out here about spades that I can try to glean from? Um, and then I had to write it. Yeah. But it was, I don't think I, I don't, I think I maybe started drafting it in like May or June. Okay. Like it was five or six Pretty months. Pretty far of, into it. Yeah, yeah, it was five or six months of work before I even put any words onto the yeah. page. Right. And so then it's drafting it and trying to figure out, okay, how do we pull in um, the, the research that we did into it, the data that we have, is this section interesting, or how do we make this engaging, right, just in the actual kind of narration on the page. Right. Um, and then we had to go, okay, how are we visually presenting this, and what right. does that look like? And then you go through the design, and then I didn't do any of that, the coding or the design, yeah. I like... I would say that I creative directed the process, but I, yeah. I, I don't know how to do GitHub. Or I, I want to learn, but I, I, don't, I don't have oh, those I hear skills. You. I hear you. Um, so they <laughs> did that, and we would review it. And then I also, you know, pulled in, like, friends and other, like, sources, to, you know, mm -hmm. to look at it as I was going. I was like, am I on track here based upon your experience with space or what you know about it? Um, just to make sure that it wasn't necessarily true just to like my experience or my interpretation um, right. of, of the game. Um, and then once we kind of had the narrative and we had edits and we had the designs and we had the code, it was time to publish. And at some point within that time period, we were kind of getting burned out on it. It's a long time to work on one thing. And so it was close to when we were kind of going to publish and we were like, we should print this on actual cards. Mm -hmm. I think that got us like re-excited about the the piece because it was something that neither of us, yeah, putting me or myself had ever done before. So that was kind of like that real push to like let's get this out because we want to then do this like next cool thing. Right. So I, I want to ask about the card piece of it. So it sounds like you were writing when you were in that phase of writing the text. Were you thinking we're going to lay this out on? on cards like was that like were you going into it like that because i would imagine that that would affect how you would write yeah so when i pitched it um what i kind of i, I drew something that essentially looked like a space table so the mm -hmm. screen would have had 
four hands, you know, kind of at north, south, east, and west. Mm -hmm. And my idea was that you would click into one of the hands and then kind of read that story section. Ah, uh, I got gotcha. you. That section of the piece. So right. even from the pitch, I was kind of thinking about, because this is the pudding, like they do visually, right. you know yeah. what I mean? So I, I knew I had to have some idea of how I wanted this visually to, to come together. Um, that ended up being too complicated to, 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 to code. Um, mm -hmm. And also just kind of didn't, I think we ended up having more than like four sections or we had three mm -hmm. sections or something. It just didn't work. Yeah. Um, and so Matt, Jan, we just were all kind of brainstorming and came up with the idea to do it. Um, it's best on a mobile device because that's inherently vertical. Right. To do it on the cards because obviously you know you place waves of cards and so it just kind of yeah. makes sense. It, yeah, it's interesting because the, the desktop version because I've I've tested all three of them, right? So I've got I've got the physical card set, which my uh, daughter and I were reading this weekend. We've I've I've played with it on the mobile phone and I played it on the desktop. And the desktop it goes horizontally, right? Um, and that's sort of interesting. I haven't tried it on a tablet, which maybe should be like I mean that's just tablet like, is is vertical is vertical. So so for the desktop, like what was the thinking about keeping? This is just kind of an aside, but I'm just kind of curious. Like, what was the thinking of having it horizontal on the desktop but vertical on mobile? I honestly would say you probably have to ask Matt what that, that <laughs> answer is. Like, I'm not yeah. sure that I remember. Um, it might have been just like a limitation in mm -hmm. terms of the, the coding right. um, and the way that he had to had to code it to, had to, to code it up to, yeah. to work. Yeah. I'm not, you know, for certain, but. Right. The technical piece is always like... Right, yeah. right. And yeah. then also, you know, we read from left to right. And so yeah. it's also, you know, kind of a bit disorienting for me to be reading something that scrolls vertically on right. a desktop. Yeah, but that's... On phone, but on your phone... That makes sense. And so I I, yeah. I think we also kind of talked about it from that perspective as well. Yeah, that that is really interesting, right? Because we read left to right, but the motion on the phone is natural to scroll right. up and down. Yeah, that's really right. interesting. Um, you also mentioned that in this whole process, you asked uh, friends and presumably family to just just read through it. And I get the sense from you, both of what I've read and what we've been talking about, that this is, this is a personal, this project has personal meaning to you, clearly like rooted all the way back in your family not letting you, you know, sit at the adult table, which um, I, I <laughs> enjoy. But like, what were the conversations like with your friends and family when you were showing them this piece, especially the early drafts? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was like, this is really great. When is it going to be out? <laughs> like, that was a lot. And that was even just, you know, because I was kind of giving people updates on Twitter and stuff. So people knew that, like, I was working on this for that year. Yeah. Um, and, but then, you know, I mean, one thing that came up, I, I have a friend, Phil Lewis, um, who's an editor at HuffPost. He's really great. Um, I had him read the piece and give me some edits and some feedback. And in an initial draft, I had just written Black and he was like, well, I think you, I think you really should hone in on African, like we need to pick one. It's either black mm -hmm. or African-American. While African-Americans are black, not all black people are African-American. Right. So like true to the specific ethnicity, given that spades um, is a game that originates from, you know, folks who were enslaved, right? right. In, in this country. And so that's, that's a different black experience, right? Than someone whose ancestors were not enslaved mm -hmm. in, in America. Specifically, of course, you know, there was slavery all throughout the African diaspora, right? But like, that was even a question of, like, okay, we need to be specific to the actual story that it is that you're trying to tell. And, it, you know, I had even gone and interviewed some Caribbean and 
and African black folks mm-hmm. because you know, all black people play, you know, play spades. Yeah. And but even those interviews, what was coming out was like, oh, like I learned this from my African American friends. Mm. And so then both with Phil's feedback and then Rob, who was an editor at putting up time, was like, yeah, we can actually leave that out and just like it's okay for this to just be about the African American experience instead of trying to like encompass right kind of the broader. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um and then also the history section. I'm I'm a history nerd. I'm trained in social science, so I've always loved history. Um, was longer, mm-hmm. and it wasn't interesting to people. So we cut a lot of that out huh. to make it kind of flow better, be more interesting. Um, I also at one point wanted to kind of include something about like my personal history with spades. Yeah, that didn't end up making the cut either because it just as the piece like took shape, it just didn't make sense to like. Right go from this survey to history to like a random like personal diatribe which just didn't fit the narrative so right. the things that right i kind of wanted to do or we were thinking about doing that didn't end up kind didn't of work in, yeah in, yeah in the okay but now we but now we've got it on the podcast so now folks know a little bit about your your personal spades history yes. um you had mentioned also earlier that out of the survey that you that you all ran matt was doing the quantitative side and you were doing the qualitative side and i'm curious if you could talk a little bit about your analysis of the qualitative data did you i mean i guess like were there specific methods you used did you use tools like in vivo or something else and then like what was the richness that you found from the from the qualitative piece yeah i coded it by hand okay um i'm a i'm a pen and paper or pen and or you know paper and crayons girl um (laughs) and so i remember just kind of using different colors to represent different codes Mm-hmm. So particularly with like one of the things that comes to mind is that question of like how does space make you feel? Yeah. Thinking, you know, seeing, okay, how often are certain responses coming up? Whether it's excited or black or loved or family or whatever else, right? Like coloring each of those every time it came through in the data. Um, and then, you know, kind of doing that same process to all of the different like questions to kind of see um, what is the what is the narrative story mm-hmm. that's emerging from the data that people are giving, which I think um, is really helpful to be. And then I also did interviews, right? So I'm looking at right. the survey, I'm coding it, and then I'm saying, oh, I really like this person's answer to this, or this perspective is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Let me reach out to XYZ to then have an interview to talk even further about their survey responses. And that's where you get, you know, Terrence's quote in the piece or, um, Robin's perspective, mm-hmm. like that's where that um, kind of that's where that comes in. And even within that, we were trying to think about gender, age, where in the country yeah. you live, all of that, so that even in the people who um, we were quoting in the story, there was representation and, and diversity. Right. That's really interesting. I mean, the whole thing is pretty interesting because, in some ways even though it's kind of, it's obviously on the pudding and celebrated and won an information is beautiful award. In some ways, it's not really a kind of like data visualization like project. I mean, it has data, but it's a storytelling project. So like when you pitched it, were you thinking like, oh, this is a data project or are you thinking like, this is a storytelling project? I think I was thinking this is something that doesn't exist that needs to that needs to exist. Mm-hmm. I have the uh, the ability to create it. I, I was really excited about using my training in the social sciences to yeah. do a piece. I was right. really excited about being able to say, 
I'm going to create a survey and then I'm going to code the survey and then I'm going to use that to, yeah. right? It's almost like, and I have a lot of um, friends and just people in my network who are in academia and a lot of them are like, this could have been like a dissertation project. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. In the kind of way that it, um, in the way that I both went about it and then also kind of in how it like ended up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people have said that it's changed the way that they think about these are friends who are like professors or in the academy. Yeah, sure. It's changed the way that they think about sharing the information from their research, right? Because mm. I could have done all of this and like put it in a journal and then no one right. would see it. But like that's not the point. Um, and so I think I was excited about being able to merge like my passion and interest for writing and telling black stories with my, you know, academic training. I have yeah. you know a master's in social sciences i've you know taken all these different methods courses and so it was really exciting to get to and you know i bring my research skills into everything that i do right but to really concertedly get to kind of merge the two on a project yeah um then like i said before i i knew that it needed to be visual and i just had loved the pudding for forever and so i knew i wanted to work with them yeah just kind of all 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 i mean you know, we do have visualizations in there. We have no right, graphs. right. There is that, but yeah, I, I do right. agree that in some ways it does feel um, maybe like a narrative history project, right? That then has has data um, with it. Yeah, yeah. But it's not like a, a dashboard kind of like you know a lot of the a lot of the things that were at the information awards. You know, it's a you know right. it's a dashboard kind of thing. But yeah, this is more of those immersive stories. But what's also like the physical cards. What's great about the physical cards is like we all know like the internet just kind of like things are going to disappear from the internet, but like the cards will always exist, right? Like, so like the physical, now have you yeah. played spades with the cards? I have not, but my family members have. So okay. this past Thanksgiving, my mom, yeah. two of my uncles and the family friend, they played bid with my card deck actually, yeah. which is sort of playing spades. And that was like a really, really cool moment. Yeah, that's pretty for, cool. Like, people in my family playing with the cards. Yeah. Um, and then we just did like another print run that sold out. Um, so it's, it's exciting to, 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 for me, like the card deck is really like an everyday accessible archive yeah. because you can sit there and read the story, but yeah. you can also play with it. And so, right. you know, there's something interesting to me in that, like being able to kind of be so hands-on and tactile, like engaged with this archive, with this story, with this archival object, with this art object that also has like a real world purpose. Um, and I'm also when we did the print one, I got some decks just for myself, one for like my personal archive, but I'm also mm-hmm. endeavoring to fit them into black and other cultural institutions, um, definitely yeah. in the States, but also around the world so that they can also be um, like properly preserved beyond, you know, people having right. them in their, in their homes yeah. as well. And it's just, it's so interesting to think about uh, a cultural story and then being used in actual gameplay and how they kind of would wear over time and how those those various things just kind of interact in the non you know in the analog world in people's actual lives it's just kind of interesting to think about you know how they'll bend and they'll tear and they'll you know when you you know yeah. and they won't be as like slippery and glossy after a couple plays right like yeah, yeah, really yeah. i hadn't you know i hadn't even thought about that i mean i know some people who have bought multiple decks so that they have one that they can play with and then one that is preserved right um i i even have some friends who when we did the we did the like i have friends who bought decks the first time and then we did the reprint they were like oh sorry this is this, this, this. and i was like yeah well one you should get one because they're gonna sell out and then two like then you have one that you can play with and you have one that you can just right. keep 
And yeah. so I think a lot of people have thought about it that way as well, of recognizing like, oh, this is an archival art object. Let me have one that I take care of, and then let me have one that I touch and interact with and, and, and play with. Right, right. Um, so now looking forward, do you see yourself doing other projects? Uh, I don't want to say similar vein, but I guess I mean a similar vein insofar as doing another survey and doing that sort of social science research type thing and, um, you know, immersing, uh, you know, sort of blending it with another story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have every intention of getting a PhD. Um, so there's obviously a lot of like research assets that will go in that. I'm also always, in the words of Lisa Ray, rooting for and interested in everybody black. Yeah. Um, so a lot of my work always is centering around black culture. Um, so there definitely are some other projects that I'm thinking about, whether that would do them in school or I would just try to like the next thing that I do, um, one, I think will take longer time just because of how I'm conceiving of it in my head. Mm -hmm. And two, I want to get like a big grant to do yeah. it, um, right. you know, kind of yeah. up, up front or have it be like what I'm doing for school, right. for, which, yeah. you know, I think is doable given how this one's performed, Absolutely. et cetera, et cetera. So, I definitely do have some other projects in mind. They're kind of still rooted in like my personal black experience mm -hmm. or things that I'm kind of, you know, noticing in my, in my life and in my worldview. But yeah, I definitely do have some other ones in mind that I'm hoping to kind of um, get going on in the next year or so. I kind of already feel bad for your uh, PhD classmates who are going to like write a dissertation and it'll be just like, you know, 40 page essay and you're going to come up with some like storytelling thing that's going to blow people's socks off. So you know. Hopefully, I mean, yeah, and but also like, <laughs> hopefully, um, the academy doesn't try to like beat that out of me. You know. <laughs> so in econ, at least, like the the one of the guiding principles or lights is like you do your dissertation and then you try to get the chapters published as as right. general. So like maybe you don't do that in grad school, but like you turn that thing into something else. And yeah, you know, yeah. I know lots of you know history folks, right? They end up publishing their dissertation as a book later once they learn how to write for the non-academics, right? Uh, you know, I've been writing for non-academics, so I've done yeah. both. So it'll be right. really interesting to see kind of how that how that goes. I'm also hopeful that, like, having this project on my CV will, like, be interesting when I'm applying for programs. Absolutely. Like, oh, yeah, we should accept her. So yeah. fingers crossed. We'll, we'll see what happens. I'm rooting for you. That, 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 that's awesome. Um, do you want to talk for a moment about your your the project you're working on during your residency? It's not the project that you that you're thinking about. It's on my website. Oh, okay. I have okay. to talk about that one publicly. I'm okay. happy to talk about the one that you saw on my website, though. Yeah, let, let's talk about that one. So you're working. So that's a that also seems like a pretty personal project to you. So maybe you just yeah. talk about that. Let let folks know. Yeah, I mean, a lot of yeah, like I said, a lot of my work is personal, is rooted in my experience or what I'm seeing, and kind of parallels in my experience, large black experience. But um, the project that I'm starting on now, it's mostly rooted in ceramics. So if you didn't know, I'm, I'm a writer, a journalist, but I also a researcher and I also work with clay, a ceramic artist. Um, and so it's called the Boeing City Project. The kind of short and sweet version of it, or just of it, is that my great 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 grandparents um, helped found a city in northern Michigan called Boeing City in the 1800s. Um, a lot of kind of their history and like um, mark on the the town is still there, like. There's a church that my, you know, great 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 grandmother, like, you know, when you go into it, there's like a photo of her in there because she was, mm -hmm. like a, you know, a founder. 
family member. If there's a historical marker outside of the church, there are streets named after them. There's all yeah. of this kind of stuff that still exists. Um, and so this project is very much still still taking shape. Um, but what's come to me so far is specifically through clay, you know, it's about um, kind of reaching back and, and trying to 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 understand and like always kind of root my practice in African ceramic traditions, but also to think about uh, I've forgotten a crucial piece of the family make this make sense. They own the brickyard and bricks are made of clay. And so uh, for a long time, I've been interested in ceramics oh, interesting. and felt really called to ceramics. Yeah. And in the last few years, I've stepped into that kind of right. calling. Um, and so I now work with clay and see it as a continuation of the work that my ancestors did yeah. um, in their brickyard and with clay. And so it's both about like, the fact that I can't, you know, trace my, I can only trace my history so far back. I can't tell you like where in Africa I'm descended from. So part right. of it is like looking towards those methods that I don't, that I can like intuitively and bodily kind of understand and, and, and work with and act on, but like can't necessarily directly speak to. And then also thinking through like, you know, the history itself in Michigan, documenting that um, and just like bringing it into a larger consciousness, consciousness, right? It's not a narrative I feel like you hear about by people in the 1800s that often. Right. And so that, for me, means that it deserves to be told. Yeah. And then, think, you know, thinking about the present of, like, well, what does this mean? Um, not only for my family, right, but, like, how does this change our understandings of the Black experience, Black life, Blackness in that time period? What does it mean that, like, this didn't necessarily... And not that I, like, aspire to, you know, being a billionaire or anything, but, like, right, you, you see people like... Um, Rockefellers or the Vanderbilt's right, who were operating in similar time periods mm-hmm. in kind of parallel industries, and they have all the sustained wealth. Why isn't that necessarily right. the case for my family? Um, I'm also kind of interested in questions of like, what does it really mean to be from a place? Because mm-hmm. um, I would, you know, if anybody's like from Michigan, I think I'm from, you know, I'm from Michigan. I can trace that back. I can, and so it's just there's a lot of different questions um, around it. Right now, it's mostly kind of taking shape through my ceramic work. Um, but I do think that eventually there will be some sort of written um, piece to it that just hasn't kind of come to me as as clearly yet. But yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a family history project. On, and I'm hoping that, you know, as I continue to do it, it will also um, inspire people to, again, like reflect on, you know, what it means for, for Black people in American history and Black Midwestern history, specifically outside of like, Chicago and Detroit, these kind of yeah. epic centers where you think of Black people as being. Um, right. What does it mean for them to have been there before the Great Migration, which is typically when folks moved up from South to North? Right. Um, but also, you know, just to inspire people to look into their own family histories themselves, because I think um, you can't know where you're going if you don't know where you've kind of been and, and, and where you've yeah. come from. Yeah. Well, that's um that's a, a great note to end on, um, Gabrielle. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, good luck on the residency. I'm rooting for you on the PhD program. Although, you know, get ready because it's <laughs> yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But the piece is fantastic, and I'll share the links on the episode uh, page so folks can check out both the pudding story and uh, your work on your your website. And um, I'm looking forward to the next thing that you come out with. So, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really, really fun.
And thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed that. I really do hope you will check out the story on the Pudding website about spades. You should also consider just buying yourself a card deck. It's great. Like the actual hold the project in your hands is, is really just fantastic. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the show. Thanks for tuning in each and every other week. And I hope you will stay tuned for more great podcasts, great episodes, and other great content on the PolicyViz website over the next few months. So until next time, this has been the PolicyViz podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A number of people help bring you the PolicyViz podcast. Music is provided by the NRIs. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. Design and promotion is created with assistance from Sharon Satsuki Ramirez. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Policy Viz podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. If you'd like to help support the show financially, please visit our PayPal page or our Patreon page at patreon.com slash policyviz.